The roller coaster that was the Toronto Blue Jays season came to a screeching halt in the wild card series round, Jackson. There's a level of acceptance, I think, that fans have because in some ways this is surprising, Matt, but in other ways they showed us exactly who they were all season long, didn't they? Yeah, I think, you know, you play 162 for a reason. You learn things about your team. And to think that some of the things that we saw during the regular season were going to change dramatically in the postseason, there's always that hope, right, that we talked about in the in the preview, that there, it's the new season, it's a fresh start, but it's the same team. And, and that was evident based on the one run over 18 innings, some of the decision-making, yeah. some of the blunders. Uh, like you said, they showed who they were, and I think – they got what they deserve to a certain extent. And, you know, you take a step back and sort of where we ended last episode on, what was it, Tuesday, where, you know, you look at these two teams, you've got the Twins, great September, easy division, but still put up 87 wins, uh, a good mix of youth and vets, mainly, uh, you know, some vets who weren't having the best seasons, right? Carlos Correa, prime example, and with some solid pitching, both in the rotation and in the pen. And the Jays, uh, you look at their perspective, well, it's a team that uh, their young players aren't so young anymore. They've spent a lot of money to surround them with talent. And it was go time, right? We had seen a team, like you mentioned, through 162. They had some issues, but again, it was a chance to put that regular season behind them uh, and to make make good use of what is a core that isn't going to be around forever. Um, that was kind of the stakes heading in. And you could argue for the Twins, um, the stakes were just as high given they haven't won a playoff game since 2004. Well, uh, they certainly accomplished that. They also won a first playoff series since beating the Moneyball A's back in 2002, Matt. So that was the stakes heading in. And we talked about it, of course, at length on Tuesday. Um, but given that, I, I think it's really unfortunate to see these two games play out pretty much exactly like many games played out throughout the regular season for the Jays. Yeah, and I mean, I would say, at least in my lifetime, I've been following the team now for you know, well over 20 years. This was the most frustrating season, start to finish, of any Blue Jays team I've ever watched. Um, and to think, again, to think that that was going to change in a two-game set against a very good baseball team. I mean, I, I know we talk about the Central and 87 wins, but this was still a very good baseball team, two very good starters. Um, I didn't think either starter for the Twins was – great i didn't think pablo pablo lopez left some pitches to hit you saw yesterday the jays had plenty of opportunities to jump on sonny gray um so it was just a, a matter of missed opportunities and, and bad decision making that you know it came to a I, I would love to say it crashed and burned but it really just fizzled out more than anything just like we talked about uh in that preview show lopez and gray both very solid arms but you can beat them you can hit them. They're hard to do, uh, you know, to to hit against, especially to string hits against, which is something we saw. Um, but they're not not perfect. They're not Randy Johnson, as I think I said on Tuesday, and that that was true. You you mentioned Lopez. I, I thought especially throughout the entire game, Matt. Like Lopez, there there was a lot of hittable pitches. Um, so we saw sort of the similar symptoms to what we saw during the regular season, especially from the top of the lineup, where. You know, they get a pitch in the middle of the zone and they foul it off or they hit a ground ball or they try to hit it the other way or what have you. And um, that's something that frustrated people all season long and it continued. And so, and and they did get some hits off Lopez, right? And Gray. Uh, and in fact, they out hit the Twins in game two and still lost the game uh, because they couldn't come through with that big hit, Matt. Well, and that's what we talked about on the preview as well is what do you need in the playoffs? Good pitching, good defense and timely hitting. They got the first two for the most part. The, the timely hitting was absolutely non-existent. I mean, you look at yesterday, they had they had guys in scoring position consistently throughout that game and just could not break through for even a run. I mean, you look at Chapman was at the bases loaded, it hits into the double play. Vladdy gets picked off with Bo, which we'll definitely touch on more in a bit. Um, but it's just over and over again throughout this season, this team has just found a way to not get it done as opposed to seizing the moment. Um, and they've made a lot of pitchers throughout the year look like Cy Young Award winners that uh, definitely should not have looked as good as they did against the Jays. And a lot of defenders looking like gold glove defenders, eh? I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Josh Goldberg tweeted this, and it, it really startled me. And then I saw it on the broadcast, and obviously after the game, this stat, zero home runs, one extra base hit, and one run the entire series. Two games, of course, but still, like that's just not going to win you anything. 
And it's just amazing that this team was built I, and they traded away some of their offensive tools in the offseason. They they we, they went more towards run prevention, but still there's enough in this lineup going into April that, that if you would have told me that this would have been the struggle that they would go through, I wouldn't have believed it. And and yet here we sit, you know, with a similar Jays fans with a similar feeling to last season. I, I thought to myself, what, is this worse for Jays fans and blowing that 8-1 lead in Seattle? Up there, right? It's a different kind of pain, but still hurts just as much, if not more, as you said. It's. I mean, I think recency bias plays into that a little bit. I mean, this was obviously disappointing. Blowing 8-1 leads pretty bad. Um, but it's just the frustrating part of this is really stinging Blue Jays fans today. There's just no payoff. Like, this whole season, Jays fans watched a team that, not for lack of hard work, couldn't hit very much, didn't hit a lot of home runs, didn't make a lot of comebacks, didn't hit well at home. They pitched very well, played pretty good defense, right? They they cleaned those two things up, absolutely. They still made a lot of mistakes on the base paths, and they still didn't hit. And, you know, and then you look at, like, they didn't get guys on base. They just couldn't hit, hit for power enough. The entire season, fans were waiting and waiting and waiting for that moment. And they think, well, we made the playoffs, so maybe that moment will come about then, you know? And there was lots of that, right, heading into this Minnesota series. Hey, this will be that series. Is this the time? Here's the opportunity right in front of them. And then they just had a colossal meltdown, not even a meltdown, because they didn't blow a – they never had a lead. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's hard to have a meltdown when you don't blow a lead. And yet it feels like that. And that's kind of, I think, the point you're getting at, is that it feels as if they blew an 8-1 lead. You know, yesterday – they said it on the broadcast and I felt the exact same way. It felt like they were down seven, nothing, 15, nothing. And it was two, nothing because they just, they couldn't climb that mountain all season long that. Yeah. And, and it's felt like that a lot that, yeah. you know, the, the two, nothing deficit feels like seven, you know, and it's early in the game. It's, it's the third, fourth inning in some of these games. And it just seems like insurmountable task to put up three runs. I mean, you look at Kevin Gosman all year long and the run support he got, um, he wasn't great in game one, but, I mean, they held them to three runs. If you would have told me that the, the Jays were allowed five runs in this series, I said it's a it's a two game sweep for the Jays. Like there's right. no even with this feeble offense at times, five runs and two, they, you know the pitching did its part. The offense couldn't have been any worse, really. I mean, it's some bad luck. I mean, Chapman hit a ball down the line. There were some opportunities there. He had a he had a deep fly ball in game one, but overall, like just nothing for this. We talked about the, this team giving the the fans something to grab onto and fans are looking for that. And they just reiterated the point in this series that it just wasn't going to happen. The Chapman hit uh, those two balls. You talk about that's been talked about a lot, right? The, the winning game one, the deep fly out to center field right in front of the wall. And Wednesday, the, what would have been a base hit down the line was just foul, but a foot left of the chalk, according to Keegan Matheson. Here's the deal. And Ben Nicholson Smith said this, BNS, Benny Fresh, and I completely agree. If you're going to change two hits or two foul balls for the Jays, you need to change two for the Twins as well. I'm sure you saw the same thing. That's exactly how it is. Now, I'm glad you made that point, though, because you're absolutely right. Maybe, maybe those two, if those two balls find grass, they find a wall, maybe the Jays win this series. And we're having a fun podcast today, and we're celebrating, and the mood is a complete 180, but it's not. And you can't play that game. We play that game every May with the Leafs. So so the idea that, and that's a loser's mentality, because you know who doesn't think like that? The Braves. You know who doesn't think like that? The Dodgers. Because they just go out and win. They don't make excuses and they don't make it. Well, if this foul ball had it, no, 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 no. And that should not be, if you're at the point where you have to be placing foul balls on the right side of the foul line, oh, well, that would have changed. Well, then your te- your offense sucks is the problem. And that's what happened. There wouldn't be this competition or this conversation about Chapman and how unlucky he was if they had more than one extra base hit, aside from just those two opportunities that I'm mentioning. Yeah, and and I want to touch on that in a minute because there's there's a couple of things that piss me off about people that say that those types of things, well, if this happened here, this happened there. But first of all, getting back to this has to do with the offense, but also the pitching. It, it seemed like Royce Lewis at those two home runs in game one. And it seemed, did it not seem like it was Babe Ruth walking the plate every time he came to the, he walked up from there on out? Like, that should not be the case. Royce Lewis, great hitter. We talked about him in the preview. But you would have thought this guy, like, it was unbelievable. The feeling that fans had with a guy like Royce Lewis coming to the plate, because they know any more damage and, like, this thing's out of hand. It's good. We get down three or four, like, there's no chance. We, we can't, they can't come down, come back from, from down to nothing. 
So every at that point, all the pressure is on the pitching and the defense, and it just feels insurmountable anything more than two or three runs, which it was. And you wish that from you know, if you're Jays fan, your perspective is well. Why can't Vladimir Guerrero Jr. instill that same fear that Royce Lewis did? Why can't Bo Bichette instill that same fear? And I think actually yesterday he 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 certainly had his chance to. Uh, and I don't think he I don't think Bo Bichette was bad yesterday. Actually, you're right. The Lewis stuff, he was awesome. By the way, like hey, way to way to grab the moment and run with it. Hey, and what a story! Like this guy comes in, he's still hurt. You can you can see it. They show in the broadcast. He still he can't run, and he hits two home runs. The second one, it was kind of hanging over the plate. First one, I mean, he did do a good job pulling his hands in, and he ripped that thing. Yeah, he did. I mean, there was a little bit of talk about that being a bad pitch. I didn't really think it was. It was maybe a little elevated in the zone, yeah, uh, kind of middle of the zone there. But he, the ability to pull your hands in and be that strong and take that ball out, that's just a good piece of hitting. That, that's one where you just tip your cap to the guy. And, like, he hasn't been playing, right? Like, they mentioned that, too, and they asked Rocco Baldelli in their production meeting. Dan and, and Buck did. They talked about it on Sportsnet about Rocco Baldelli said he's never seen anybody who can come back and hit immediately like Royce Lewis can. Now, I'm sure some of that was hyperbole, but we certainly saw that in game one. Um, but you're right. The way it felt like that, those that two-run home run, it felt like a grand slam just because of the way that this Jays lineup has been climbing uphill all season. But So you look at game one, and one thing, I, I think two players, sort of two areas of the team that were very good in game one was Kevin Kiermeyer and the bullpen. The bullpen kept them in the game. Moving the goalposts, the moving of the expectations, I'm really glad to see today that that's not happening. That nobody, I mean, it was hard to be okay with this, but there's not even a thing where it's like, oh, well, no, 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 no. There's no excuses. No excuses are being made. And I do, you know, I don't like to see people getting, for lack of a better term, shit canned all the time. But I do, I think that I'm glad the media is holding them accountable and that there is a good proper dialogue happening. It's not like, ah, well, we'll get them next year. They just need to make some changes. No, this is like, this is a failure on multiple fronts. Yeah. And, and it's a failure that's going to spark big changes. I think I, I, I'm not, I don't like to overreact in situations mm-hmm. um, with losses and teams because it's hard to win. You get to yeah. the playoffs, you know, there's a, there's a 20 year, 25 year stretch there where the, we were, you know, Jays fans were begging to make the playoffs. Right. But expectations change. And this is not only if they were to lost to Houston in the ALDS, it would have a little bit of a different feel to it. But to go out in this fashion and to think that nothing is going to come of it is just foolish to me. And the thing is, during those dark years, you're absolutely right. A few things. It was harder to make the playoffs. The Jays did not spend as much money or make as much money. And the Yankees and Red Sox were world beaters. That's changed, you know, and the Yankees and Red Sox. You know, they have a lot more competition now. A lot more teams can spend money, including the Jays. And to see them still struggle. And and I think that that's kind of the problem, is that this era is supposed to be full of winning and not full of disappointment, which is what fans have gotten thus far. And it's only going to get harder. I mean, you look at Baltimore, their, their window is just starting. Tampa Bay has always found a way to get it done. You mentioned... Heim Bloom getting let go with the rest. Do like, you think they're going to be okay with bringing in somebody in and going 500 again? Absolutely not. Yeah. The Yankees are the Yankees. Um, so this was a huge missed opportunity. Then you look at your own, you know, look at the Blue Jays and, and sure the pitching was great, but the chances that they stay healthy like that again and get those performances again, slim to none, to be honest with you. You know, you, I think they went through a handful of starting pitchers beyond the, you know, the five that the core five, besides Manoa being a disaster, uh, that's just not going to happen again, more than likely. And and obviously the team's going to change on the offensive front, no doubt. Um, and they're going to feel comfortable bringing this, this staff back and, and filling those holes in the bullpen that are going to leave. But to expect this again, that's why it feels like such a lost opportunity is, is you had the pitching and the defense to get it done. And, and what you thought wasn't going to be a problem with the hitting ended up being the downfall of this team. Fall training has arrived, and the Baseball Zone has you covered. They offer hitting, fielding, and pitching clinics for all ages. Now, if you want to add more technology to your training, try out their specialized advanced clinics. And if you want smaller instruction, their semi-private clinics might be what you're looking for. Well, TBZ has something for everyone. Check out their website at thebaseballzone.ca or go give them a visit at 1081 Bravic Place, Mississauga, Ontario, near the 401 and Dixie Road exit. They were pretty healthy too. I mean, Jansen got hurt. Bo had his things throughout the year, uh, but their rotation. Ryu came back and was awesome. 
you know, Chad Green came in the bullpen. They were healthy for the most part. It's like you squandered a great year of pitching. And this might be the best, best pitching staff a team has ever had. This and, is the best pitching staff I've ever seen. On yeah. a team. There's like, there's no doubt about it. I and mean, they had so many guys stay healthy. Like, yes, Belt was out for a little bit, but like Kiermaier stayed healthy. That was a huge conversation. Springer stayed healthy. He played 154 games. I think right. it was. Yeah. Their whole outfield was healthy and awesome. And it's just feels like they squandered a lot. I, before we get to the big picture, who's getting fired succession episode, I want to talk to you about the Barrios decision to pull him for Kikuchi. You, we're a pitcher. I would like to hear your perspective. And I know I'm kind of putting a spot, but because the way I saw it, I never pitched, but you take a guy who's absolutely dealing. Everybody knows that was the wrong move. Everybody universally, they were getting, I think John Schneider knew as he was walking out, you could tell by the look on his face that it was, and that's the thing, but just not to cut you off, but this was a multi-layered. I said this on Twitter last night, this was a multi-layered decision. So Let's just put that out on the table. This is not one person that made this decision. Um, it was dis- clearly discussed beforehand. And a lot of those people who were involved in that decision will never know who they were, you know? And that's kind of the part that rubs me the wrong way is that Schneider's sort of like the pinata. And I don't love that, but but quickly though, I want to get to my point. So they they pull Kikuchi who's abs- or Barrios, who's absolutely dealing. You can see the way that the twins, I mean, the twins I'm sure loved that, but you bring in Kikuchi and Matt, picture yourself as you take a coochie in that spot. What a horrible position to put a guy in. Because now, not only does he have to justify that move, but he rarely pitches out of the bullpen. He's a starting pitcher. You put him in a playoff game in a, you know, in a uh, hostile environment with a runner at first. To me, you're not setting either of those guys up for success, Barrios or Kikuchi. Yeah, I got a couple opinions on this. Um, first of all, analytics are useful. Like there's no doubt about it. They, they, they provide value, uh, but there's got to be a balance. I said that last night as well. And speaking of Kikuchi, put, getting, putting him in a, in a bad situation. Absolutely. Especially after the game, when, it, when you hear Barrios talk about, I didn't know why I got pulled. So if he doesn't know why he's getting pulled in that situation, do you think Kikuchi down in the bullpen knows why he's coming in? I know there's a general game plan, like the lefties and I, I cannot stand I feel like they they tried to play to Minnesota's weakness and force Rocco Baldelli's hand. I'm a big believer in going down with your best. And there is no doubt yesterday that Jose Barrio was your best. The other thing I don't like about this situation, I never have, and it happens quite frequently, I don't like guys pitching out of roles. You play a certain way the entire year, and then you bring Kikuchi in a third. Now, if Brios is getting hit hard and he's your long man, I, I understand that. I can get behind that but he wasn't. And then you throw him in this, in the middle of the fourth inning commotion on the bases. He has to get ready in the bullpen completely different than the 33 times or whatever it was before that. Um, and then you just expect it to work because some numbers got spit out that, Hey, we're going to force Baldelli's hand here. We're going to have Kikuchi against the lefties. And, and whether you believe in the baseball gods or not, that's a, that might be an example of them, you know, working their magic because you see it all the time, you know, guys pitching different roles come playoff time. And it's a little bit different back in the bullpen closer coming into a big situation earlier in the game. But guys have roles for a reason. Meza, Cabrera, Green, all those guys have roles. It's all been established. You know who's coming into the end of the game. You know who's pitching to the lefties late in the game. You know who your starters are. You've gotten unbelievable efforts from them all season long. And then you just completely flip the script to play to what you think is the opponent's weakness. You should be always be playing when you have the talent and the skill level, especially of the pitching staff of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, you should be playing to your strength. And I, I, I just cannot. It's it was indefensible in my opinion to let that happen. And as soon as it happened, you could see it on Snyder's face, and every I, I could see it on every Blue Jays face across the country. Blue Jays fan, everyone knew what what was happening with the analytics decision, and everyone knew what was gonna happen. And it's exactly what we thought was gonna happen. And, and when you can't score runs and you make a decision like that and you give them runs, it, it, he had one walk in that inning. And I know I'm not going on a bit of a rant here, but mm-hmm. he had one walk. He walked the leadoff man. And it's not like he gave leadoff man double and there's second and third. Okay, it's, we need to make a quick move here. He was he, That's the best Jose Barrios has looked as a Blue Jay, in my opinion, in three innings. And, like, it's Royce Lewis. 
So you actually don't mind walking him because he might be the one guy in that lineup you do walk, you know? And we, yeah, we just talked about how Royce Lewis felt like Babe Ruth walking the plate and he yeah. walks him like big, he can't run. Yeah. He's not it's, all it's, first to third on a single. Exactly. Like it just it completely mismanaged. And that's not on just on Schneider. It's all the decision makers. It was almost like I was watching it and it, it's like, you know, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. I like, it was like, I've seen this movie before. They're going to go to Kikuchi because the numbers say they should. And I'm putting that in air quotes for people that yeah. obviously aren't going to see this. And then they give up two runs and we're supposed, and everyone's supposed to act surprised. Like there's no feel, like there's just no feel. Yeah. The feel has been taken out of it. You saw yeah. it with Blake Snell in the 2020 world series, Kevin Cash did the same thing and you don't learn your lesson. And it's just, I, it, it blows my mind that managers are now not allowed to, the ebbs and flows of the game. Yeah. And and someone made a point. I was watching Scott MacArthur, maybe, and Richard Griffin were mm. talking about this post game on their on their podcast. Schneider can't do anything about that. Yeah. If he if Schneider doesn't go out there or goes out there for mound visit and comes back to the dugout and leaves Brios in there and he gives up a couple of runs, he might get fired in the dugout. Totally. Which goes back to it's not what cost him the game. Whit Mirrorfield said this after the after the game. It wasn't what cost him the game, but it just speaks to a larger issue with this team and with baseball in general, where the feel and, and the personal aspect of it is getting taken out of it. And it drives me nuts. So that was the reason for that rant. But again, everyone saw it coming. It, it you can't act surprised. As soon as Snyder took one step out of that dugout, I I, I could have told you it was gonna happen there that next inning. It's like watching a car crash. Right. Like you can see it happening and you're like, no, stop, please stop. Right. Buck Martinez did a fantastic job on the broadcast of guiding us through that. Right. Buck was on it. The the broadcast was on it doing such a good job. That storytelling component of showing Kikuchi and then showing Schneider. Right. Like you said, you could see it on showing the bolt, showing the just the whole thing. And Buck being like, oh, no, are they going to do this? And echoing every fan's emotion. It was just uh, picturesque it was it was it was like watching a movie and buck was narrating and and (laughs) buck hit the nail on the head when talking about the analytics versus the flow of the game the twins didn't care who was coming into that game as long as barrios was out they didn't care what lefty was coming in because they knew barrios is dialed in here we're in we're in trouble so you know what the poison you don't know we'll take the the what you don't know as opposed to what you do know, because what you do know was Brios and he was not, he, he looked sharp. So they were those, those hitters on the on deck circle were licking their chops when, when Brios walked off the mound. So, and here's the thing too. So you give Brios what $130 million and you don't <laughs> trust him to pitch beyond like into a, like he's that, like you said, that was maybe the best he's ever looked as a J he was money. His stuff was crazy. So much movement. He was, he was dialed. You could see it in his face. He was dialed. He's competing. This is his old ballpark. The team that traded him away. Wait, you don't think he's a little motivated, right? Like, why do you give him seven years, 130 some odd million bucks then if you don't trust him against... Here's the thing too. I understand what they were doing, but the lack of a feel and the lack of an ability for the manager to override and say no, because Barrio... Why didn't someone... And Jeff Blair said this last night. Why didn't someone in that room with all those faceless analytics people and then John Schneider... Why didn't somebody raise their hand and say, hey, guys, what if Barrios is good tonight or today? What if Barrios is really, really good? Do we let Schneider over? No. Did that conversation happen? I don't know. Didn't look like it. All that to turn Alex Kirilov into Donovan Solano? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I get it. I get the lefty-righty thing. I, I just, it's not Barry Bonds. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I get what they're doing. You know what I mean? I get what they're doing. It felt without any feel. It felt too early. Again, if Barrios was in a jam and he was not looking good, it's maybe a different story. But it just and and I knew it the second that they started talking about it and they were showing Kikuchi. I knew this was going to be a topic of conversation. Like you could just you knew it because you knew okay that's it they're going to lose. I like I said it was watching the car crash take place. Um, Blake Murphy said this this morning on Jay's Talk Plus. I completely agree. Everybody now has analytics. Everybody invests in analytics, right? There's no team that's like way, I mean, maybe, but they all have information. But what separates the teams, the good analytics teams and the not good analytics teams is how they use that information, how they integrate that information and how they communicate it. That's Schneider, the big thing for me is how yeah. it's communicated. I've been in bullpens before where we've, or I've watched managers and collectively there's eight guys sitting down there and the decision's made 
and we're like, what the hell is going on? Right. So don't 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 fool yourself. I think guys on that team are not thinking like, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm a, like I said, I'm a big believer in go down with your best. It's it's gotten to the point where it's now go down with the analytics. Yeah. If you're gonna lose, lose analytically instead of having the feel and riding your horse on that day, like Barrios was, and losing with that. I, I I'm I'd be more okay doing that than than playing the numbers game in this situation. There's a certain time and a place to play the numbers. There's a certain time and a place where John Schneider has to be like, whoa, hold on here. Like, I, I like the way the, the flow of this game's going. It's going to be tough to score runs. Kikuchi doesn't come out of the bullpen. All the things that go into it, uh, it was just it was just a dumpster fire is the only way I can describe it. You look at a Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker walks out there, has a conversation, maybe changes his mind. You know, I don't think John Schneider's allowed to do that. And I think no. that that's a difference. Like it's clear that in some markets, like Houston's a pretty deep analytical team too, right? They, you know, they've, they've given Dusty Baker, the, they've empowered him to say, look, if you, we trust you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it feels like then, then why do you have a manager then? Like just have Ross Atkins in his khakis go out there and do it then. In his that's nice the thing shoes. I don't understand. You don't hire a guy like Dusty Baker to flood him with analytics. You you hire Dusty Baker for his experience and his ability to communicate and to build relationships and understand the game and the way the game is going. That's why you bring in good. That's that's what separates good managers from bad managers. And, and that and managing a bullpen. Those are the two big things personal relationships and the bullpen. Those are two things that managers have to do nowadays. Um, and then you take, you completely, and I think John Schneider's pretty good at that. Pretty uh, you know, with yeah. managing relationships, like I, I think he's very well liked. And, and I know people say, I don't care if he's well liked, I want wins, but that's part of it. You're around a team for 162 games plus playoffs. You have to have somebody that can communicate and, and that is liked in that clubhouse. And I think John Schneider is that guy, but something like this happens and, and, it's evident that it's out of his control. It's just a terrible look. The, the entire team is sitting, whether they admit it or not, is thinking in that situation. I don't know what the hell we're doing. And that's a terrible place to be down one nothing in a wild card series yeah. um, against a good team. Especially where this team is. This is not a, some young upstart team. This is not some team, like they're not, no disrespect to the Marlins. They're not the Marlins who are just, again, I, I sorry, Marlins fans, who are just happy to be there. Okay. Like that, that was the Jays in 2020. Right. And, and so, and it was, this was supposed to be different last year was supposed to be different. The two things you mentioned it with Schneider, right. Managing personalities and then the bullpen decisions. Well, another two things that he's talked about a lot. Well, the main thing really was the attention detail, right. The, on the basis and defensively. And well, I could argue they actually were quite sloppy this year. And especially on the base paths. Of course, that brings us to what maybe was more impactful of a, of a decision or an instance. I mean, I don't want to compare, but here's the deal, man. They didn't score a single run. So, you know what I mean? Like, that Barrios-Kikuchi decision is massive, no doubt about it. I'm not trying to minimize it. It's not like Kikuchi came in and allowed a grand salami, you know? No. They were down 2 nothing, even after that. Like, Think about they could have bailed Schneider and their whole organization the hell out if they just went and scored a couple runs. And that Vladdy instance, and I, I just want to make sure I get the inning right. I don't want to mess this up. As you're looking at that, the but that gets to my point of whether they would come back to win that game or not, someone has to answer for that decision because it was the wrong decision. Yeah. So, so that, that gets to the broader problem as opposed to this game. They, they weren't going to win this game anyways. They, they didn't score a run. That's not no. why they lost. What Mirrorfield is right. That's not why they lost. But it speaks to the broader decision-making that goes into these types of things. And and back, I, I just remember the point that I said makes me angry. People talk about, well, if Chapman's liner down the line is fair, he hits that ball off the wall in game one. You realize that fans are quick to realize and, and people are quick to realize how that can change the momentum of a game or change the outlook of a game. Well, so does a decision like making that pitching change. Totally. Not only to the scoreboard at the time, obviously the two runs came in, but just to the overall morale of the team and and how they feel going forward into the later innings of that game. And again, that's something that is really hard to quantify. But I just wonder if you mentioned that, the momentum shift and overall just how it made the rest of the team feel including likely Kikuchi if that 
outweighs any positive effect of, of turning Kirilov into Solano. You know what I mean? Or getting Matt Walner out of the game. Like, really? I just, I find it hard to believe that all of that stuff, all of that baggage, all of that craziness, all the chaos that this decision creates, oh, but at least now Donovan Solano is batting. Yeah. I don't know. You could get the worst hitter in the big leagues get, goes out there against Kikuchi and pokes a single and you're still down. And now you create all this chaos, all this, all these question marks in your dugout for that. It just, it, it, it blows my mind. And so, like you said, it's not like, these aren't all-star hitters here. Like they're good hitters, but there's a lot of good hitters in this league. Go beat somebody. Go win a baseball game. You lost two, nothing. You, you're on paper. You're arguably better, very evenly matched. Like we talked about in preview. Go beat somebody. Uh, like enough with the the nitpicking and the number crunching. Just go play better. You know, Kevin Barker talks about this all the time. Sometimes you just gotta go play better. Yeah. And 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 that's that's all it comes down to. You go out there and you take the game. And and they just it, they just couldn't do that. Uh, I'm gonna get to this flag pick up in a second. Did you see the Phillies last night? Did you watch any yeah. of that game by any chance? Yeah. Boy, they that looks fun, hey? <laughs> they, they know how to score runs. It's kind of cool. Like Bryson Stott just comes up, hits a grand slam. Yeah. Everyone wanted to compare, and we talked about this. Everyone wanted to compare this. Hey, the Jays could be the Braves this year. They could be that team. They could be the Phillies. Just got to get in. And I was saying that too. Those teams hit for power. Those teams had a lot of guys who hit bing bongs. That's the reason they went on a run. It wasn't because they were one through nine really deep and they had a bunch of guys who had great gloves. No, it's because they freaking match. Yeah. You got to hit home runs in the postseason, especially in the postseason. You can't wait around. You can't string two, three hits together all the time. It's not going to happen. You know, you we saw it. It didn't happen. They would get one hit, two hits. No. Couldn't get the third hit when they needed it. No. Couldn't get the second hit when they needed it. Look, Like you said, look at the Braves' stats. It looks like a video game. They're, they're playing home run derby down there. I know. By the way, that Phillies-Braves series, you want to see what two good offenses look like? Go watch that series. That's going to be fun. Now, top fifth. You know what else you can't do is get thrown out at second when you have two runners in scoring position and you're down by two. Top fifth, three-two, two out. Your best hitter is at the plate, Bo Bichette. You've got Springer at third, Guerrero at second. Okay? So Guerrero can't go anywhere unless Springer does. He's blocked. Two out. Nobody is at first. Vladdy decides to take a huge lead, and it should be noted because it was loud in the stands. The third base coach couldn't get through to Vladdy back. He couldn't hear it back because it was too loud. Carlos Correa, early on in the game, well, he picked up on this. He's a savvy baseball player. He picked up on this. He said, hold on, wait a second. And he went actually in the first inning and he told the pitcher, Sonny Gray, he said, look, hey, by the way, um, they can't hear the third base coach. So like there's some outs on the bases. I believe that's the term he used. There's some outs. You're leaving some outs on the bases out there. So then the time comes in the fifth inning. And I would like to say first off, great play, like like Gray with a great pickoff move. Correa, just great baseball sense. But again, why is it that the Jays are on the wrong side of that again? And, and Schneider had talked about details and he had talked about, you know, showing up and being a professional and it's all about the little things, doing the little things right. And then he makes, I don't say he, the organization made a boneheaded pitching decision. And, and then, so is that doing the little things right? And then Vlad gets picked off at second when he's not even the lead runner, Matt. It's, um, it's just unacceptable. And it goes to show, in my opinion, this season was... A step back yeah i think you, you you have the pitching decision you go down and then something like that that's just the <sighs> back-breaking moment in the game you just, that's when you you knew it wasn't gonna happen yeah um, i've been picked off once at second and i was in minor baseball i was probably 12 years old it was it was arguably the most embarrassing thing <laughs> that's ever happened to me in in baseball on a baseball field like I, I i still remember exactly where i was when it happened not not to mention that he he did it in front of forty thousand people in a playoff game as a tying run with your best hitter at the plate. Like I understand like that you do use your third base coach, but did Vladdy knew it was noisy in the stadium. Why are you relying on that? Like what, where's your, and it's a mistake and, and it's going to be remembered probably for a very long time. It's going to be a learning moment for him probably, but it's just, that just can't happen. And it's your best play. It's one of your best players. It's a cornerstone of your team, one of your leaders. And it's a mental mistake that, that cost you severely. It's just, it's mind blowing. It's unfathomable that someone could be, especially someone of Vlad's nature who you've been around baseball your whole life. Like, you know, like, I just, I don't get it. I don't get how you can be a 
row and there's a runner at third. It's not like you're the lead runner and there's two yeah. out. Like, what do you do? Just here's the deal. Here's the deal. If Bichette comes through with a base hit, if it's shallow, Rivera's holding you at third anyways. It's not like Vlad has wheels. Stay near the base. It just it was just a complete boneheaded play. It speaks so much to the lack of detail. Everything, and that might be Schneider's real undoing is the fact that he talked and the organization talked all damn season about the details. And in the biggest moment, they lose every attention to detail you could possibly want and they trip over themselves. And it it it's as embarrassing as it should be for them, Matt. Well, I, I think that's what excited a lot of fans about this team was the attention to these because I, I love watching baseball played the right way, especially yeah. the, the new rules, the, the base running that now comes into play. And you talk about the bait, you talk about the details all season long. And they were arguably one of the worst, worst baseball teams yeah. at the small things. Yeah. That it's just, it, you can't pre- preach that over and over again and then go and be terrible at it. Is it a thing where, were they, I struggle to believe that big league athletes could somehow overthink that and like get it too much in their head. Oh, I need to be perfect here. I doubt it, you know, and, and I understand maybe that could be a thought process, but you gotten to this point, you know, is really a focus on attention to detail. Is that what's going to make you worse at defense? I just, I find that hard to believe. And especially in that moment, can't blame anyone but Vlad there. It's just, yeah. it's just more of a symptom of a greater issue. I think with this team this year and a greater frustration that fans have. Yeah, everyone watched terrible base running all year, so it was almost fitting that that's part of their undoing. And, and you, right from the beginning of the year, when they traded Teoscar, they traded Gurriel. That it was a more serious, a more serious team yeah. is all we heard. And then something like that happens. That doesn't look. I'm not saying these players don't care. I don't buy the whole they don't care. Sure. They look like they don't care. That's yeah. crap. Mm-hmm. Minnesota wanted it more. That's not a thing. That's yeah. stupid. Yeah. But you know it, that just gives fuel to those people that say those things when you get picked off at second in that situation. So the game ends. The series ends. The season ends for the Jays with Chapman and Varsho striking out. Varsho striking out on three pitches. Um, good way to kind of end the year. Thought that was sort of pulling a high that. fastball too. Which... <laughs> yeah, just how perfect, right? All season we've been seeing the exact same thing. Uh, you, definitely, real quick, got to give some credit to Minnesota. They played well. They um, they're a good little team, and and that's going to be a fun series against the Astros. I I don't know how it's going to go, but I you know Correa against his old team, and and this sort of these young guys like Edward Julian and Walner, like it's they're a fun, exciting team, and you got to give them some credit for sure. And by the way. The fans, awesome energy this week, and and I really am happy for them too. Yeah, I I, I kind of like the way they play. I mean, yeah. Rocco Baldelli's in there managing the game. He's you know he's engaged with decision making. It seems like obviously analytics plays into their game plan yeah. too. Like, no doubt about it. Don't don't fool yourself. But you look at the way he subs guys in, you know, out and guys in, and and just the way that he maneuvers his way through the game. It's very fun to watch. And I also loved Edward Julian's post-game interview i don't know if you saw that on the field no i didn't arden's welling and he spoke about how cool it, it was really a, a a nice moment he talked about how cool it was to make his big league debut this year yeah. and now he's playing the post a postseason game against the team that he grew up watching and to be able to beat them it was just a it was a if you haven't seen it go check it out i'm sure it's somewhere on, on sportsnet's website but it was a nice yeah. canadian moment in a what was a disastrous day for this country and the game like I said, the American League is it's uh be interesting to see what happens here. I, I like these two series, uh Texas against Baltimore. That's fun, hey. And then there's just gonna be mashing and that's you wanna see some home runs. Yeah. And <laughs> Scherzer, Scherzer's throwing uh BP tomorrow, so he may make an appearance in that Whoa, series. Oh, okay, awesome. So that's exciting. So there's lots of still exciting baseball, but I suppose now would be the time where we talk a little big picture about this team. We do a little sort of okay, what's the immediate sort of decision making because we talked about it off the air the other day matt and now we'll kind of bring it on the air i have a hard time believing that shapiro wheels into the rogers board of directors meeting and they are okay with what's happened here yeah something's gonna change yeah there's gonna be changes there's there's gonna be changes to the roster i think there might be changes to the front office um who knows what those conversations are like it probably probably hasn't happened yet you kind of don't want to make any decisions yeah. emotional decisions after something like that but there's no doubt this team is not going to roll into Dunedin in four or five months looking the way it does now yeah what percentage would you put on Schneider coming back I don't 
the thing is, like, what, like, who, who would replace him? Gabe I mean, Kapler. You got, you got Don Mattingly sitting to his left. Gabe, Gabe Kapler. Kapler's out there. I saw Brad Osmus yeah. wants to get yeah. back, but that's what I mean. Like, is any of this an improve, a drastic improvement over Buck Showalter? It, the issue, yeah, he's not going back to New York. I think he wants anything to do with that. <laughs> and anymore. he'd he'd love to kill the Yankees one last time, wouldn't he? He sure would. And Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. All yeah, of a sudden, he... and he's okay. I, we're going crazy, and he might just go to the Angels or go wherever. But there's a few interesting names out there, both in terms of GMs as well as managers that could. It's going to be a long winter, and we're going to need something to keep us entertained. And I think this is the frustrating part about not hearing from the voices that make these decisions yes. is yes. how much do you pin on John Schneider for this? We don't how know. much do you pin on Ross Atkins for this? That's why I have a hard time saying is, is Gabe Kapler any better? Right. It's not that I have anything against Gabe Kapler. He's a good manager. He did some good things in San Francisco, but is he any, and is he going to be any better under this current structure than John Schneider? You know, we're not talking about, you know, Terry Francona is not walking through the door. No. Dusty Baker's not walking through the door. Some of these managers that are are very well respected and, you know, seasoned and, you know, John Gibbons isn't walking back through the door as much as I would, you know, wouldn't hate seeing that. It's not going to happen. Joe Torrey coming through there. <laughs> Joe Torrey and coming. That's what I mean. So, you know, whether it's Kapler, Osman, Snyder, yeah. from the top down, things need to change in the way that they make decisions is what it looks like from the, from the outside. Yeah. And that's why I, I think a lot of people will point the, the spotlight at Atkins. Right. And, and maybe I'm sure, and look, Shapiro's wearing it today. Uh, he, you listen to a lot of, I've listened to more sports talk radio than I'd like to admit over the last 24 hours. Everybody's getting it in the pills for lack of a better term. You know what I mean? Like everyone's getting it. I think that again, you, you start to look at sort of the timing of everything and sort of how many, how many chances do you get? Atkins, the thing this year, and Keegan mentioned this when he was on our show, this year they like tried something. You know, they tried to to go a certain direction and it didn't work. Now it, it worked in some ways, like they were better defensively, they were better with run prevention, but they went clearly either way too far that way. Also, the fact that they had as much underperformance as they did, I would again find it hard to blame Atkins because if you look at the regular season, and then the postseason. The postseason, everybody deserves blame. Everybody top to down, top to bottom deserves blame. The regular season, I mean, they did a decent job. Could they have been more active at the deadline? Sure, but they did get Jordan Hicks, and clearly there wasn't a lot of movement out there. Can you blame Atkins for all these guys having down years? And I think like people talk, people love to throw out the 89 wins and how it's a step back. I don't really care about that. I mean, no. that's gonna fluctuate among teams that make the playoffs regard like you're not going to always improve on your win total Mm-mm. it's the way you're playing the game and the way you're executing in different facets of the game and they on the field they didn't do it i honestly i don't think shapiro i think shapiro's not going anywhere i think he's very yeah involved in the business side of things as well as well as the baseball side um atkins has had a couple managers now that might be a reason but he, it would almost be like he'd be handing off a team that's ready to go for it if he yeah. leaves he brought in springer gosman bassett barrios signed barrios to the extension yeah. it just doesn't seem i think he's taking more flack than pressure depth was a big issue i think especially rotational depth which they lucked out with the health that they had uh, but i honestly think i would be okay with atkins coming back yeah and i know yeah. most people won't agree with that because they want somebody's head to roll yeah. in this situation but it's the roster and the your best players needing to be your best players. Well, and if you think about it, so if you go through the steps, okay, so if you do remove Atkins, you need to have someone ready to go to bring in, right? You can't just like not have a GM for a while. Like this not is, in this situation. You're not a 60 win team. That's the thing. This is a huge offseason. This is there's going to be a lot of heavy lifting, for lack of a better term. Like they're going to need a new third baseman. They will need another outfielder. They will need to uh, Bo and Vlad are both two years away from free agency. What do you do with either of them? Well, do I you... heard a lot. I heard a lot of talk on talk radio today about trading Bo and Vlad, yeah. and I cannot disagree with that more. I, I truly yeah. can't. Both yeah. still under relatively good control, reasonable dollars. The last thing you want to do is trade Vlad, and he has another forty-eight home run season. I don't think yeah. that's. I don't, I don't, I disagree with that. People are emotional and they're going to say crazy things. I think that that's one of them. Yeah. I, I think, I think I agree with you. 
I do think it's important to separate them though. Like with Bichette, I would be all over getting a an extension done with him. Yeah. Yeah, this offseason because he's he's evolved as a shortstop. I could trust him now. I think uh, uh, more defensively than I you, know, you could in, uh, through the earlier part of his career. He's a fantastic hitter. He's a pure hitter. You think because of that he's going to age a lot better? I'd be willing to give him because you just look at what these shortstops get now in free agency. It's insane. You might as well just sign one that you developed at home. Guerrero is a completely different conversation because it's likely that his camp will have. Like, there's no way he'll want to sign anything this offseason, right? If anything, it would be a very team-friendly deal. But if you're the Jays, you're kind of thinking, well, where, what number are we giving? You know, it's really hard to think of a, a, there's there's not a lot of comparables. It's a very difficult situation to be in because he's a first baseman who this year didn't hit for, like, he didn't hit enough. And so that really puts you in a precarious position as it as it comes to, do you consider moving Vlad? And here's the thing, though. He's coming off a down year. So what are you going to get for him? And if I'm the GM that you call, the first question I'm asking is, why are you trading him? Yeah, I think Bo's the cornerstone of the franchise. There's no doubt about that. We talked about that actually in the preview of the season. We touched on that a little bit in that episode. Yeah, but I'm not jumping into a long-term deal with Vladdy right now. No. Like, he's got a bit of a prove-it year, I think, coming up in 2024. And again, if you trade him and you lose that trade, you can't lose that trade. No. You can't. No. You that, get fired that's if what, you do. That's what it comes down to. You 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 buckle the franchise if you lose that trade and he goes on to have any sort of career that we think he could. Yeah, and you just you won't get proper value in return. You know, Miguel Cabrera retired this week, right? So people have been like resurfacing like that trade. It was a total blo- like the Tigers blew the Marlins out of the park. The best two players that the Marlins got back were Cameron Mabin and Andrew Miller. Miller had all his success elsewhere once he turned into a reliever, and Mabin was a fine player, but it just and and then you look at the Mookie Betts deal. Mookie obviously a, a different player in a different part of his career, but Verdugo, Wong, and Jeter Downs. Jeter Downs released. Connor Wong is a replacement level catcher, and Verdugo is a fine right fielder, left fielder. You're not getting a you're not getting a king's ransom, certainly. And for a guy who's off a down year, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But again, here's the thing, too. You need to figure out who's making these decisions as well, if it's going to be Atkins or if it's going to be someone else. Yeah, this isn't really a, a patchwork option for the front office. It needs to be somebody that's – because this team's window is still very much open. Um, you look at Gosman, Springer, Bath, they're getting older, though. You know, yeah. what direction is this going to go long-term over the next couple of years? I think they stay the course and are still going for it and adding to this roster. But beyond that, what's kind of the outset. And that's kind of the job of a front office to look both short and long-term when they make decisions. And will they make a call to Shohei Otani? Sure. Will they get a call back? Probably not. <laughs> right. Like, that might go straight to voicemail. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't get your call. Really? Yeah. I don't think I got it. You put that pipe dream aside. You look at the free agency. Well, Chapman, you know, we've seen a year of a couple seasons of him. We know a little bit of what his strengths and flaws are. Cody Bellinger would be interesting, but you know, his market is going to be rather uh, crowded. So there's no sort of like easy thing to point to like, oh, you should do this. And then that, you know, there's certain years too, where, you know, you look at a guy like Simeon after the year he had when he left for Texas, you don't want to lose those guys. No. Right? That that kind of felt like it hurt Robbie Ray, even even yeah. though he's you know battled injuries. But coming off a of Cy Young, it's like it, it kind of stings to lose those guys. Some of the guys leaving free agency this year, it doesn't feel that way. No. Matt Chapman, glove is obviously going to be missed, and and but offensively, he was not good after April. Um, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer, real nice piece, would be great to have him back. Not the end of the world if he walks. Brandon Belt, same thing. Like it's it's not that there's anything wrong with these players, but it's not like you're losing MVP caliber players here. I it's starting to look more and more like they should have just spent that money on Simeon, brought him back because uh, they just haven't. And I know he had a down year last year, but he's been a lot better this year. And they just they've never been able to replace that bat that they lost that year when he finished third in MVP voting. He hit 42 odd home runs, seven WAR. I'm not saying you need that. Chapman certainly provided the glove, um, but imagine if they got Jose Ramirez instead. Like, imagine yeah. how different this team would look. You know, or Freddie Freeman. I know it would have been weird with Laddie at first, and that was always a pipe dream, but look at what Freeman's doing. I mean, it makes you think. And there's just, 
it feels like I remember when that third base conversation was happening after that season, it was, Oh, you could get Chapman, you could get Ramirez. And it was always Ramirez number one, but Chapman was a decent option. But I think Chapman's tenure here will be remembered by, you could have done more here. I think I, where's that April Chapman, you know, yeah. where did that Chapman go? Cause that's an MVP right there. And if he ever, you know, he puts on weight, and this uh, next season, he goes somewhere else and maybe he has a different season. But you're right. You don't you don't really miss any of the free agents leaving. They will have some money to play with. Reuse $20 million comes off the books. That's big. Um, they don't necessarily need to get a – like pitching-wise, they're pretty good. They add an arm here or there. Uh, yeah, I heard some talk about them training some pitching. I wouldn't touch it. I think no. you, you add pieces of the bullpen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some money's coming off. I mean, you look at Kiermaier and Belt there, that's 18-something million alone yep. there, 20 yep. for Ryu. So there's going to be money that it's going to be how they spend it and who they trust to spend it is what it's going to come down to. And how what the payroll is looking like. You know, uh, I'd imagine Rodgers will keep payroll pretty similar, but no guarantees at this point. Um, anything else for you, Matt? I think we've kind of covered some of the bases. Uh, we'll that's- probably have another episode coming out to talk about sort of more of those offseason moves in detail. We need to kind of see how things shake out though. Like once, once they make a decision on the manager and the GM and, and we know a little more about that picture and sort of maybe who's out there and stuff like that. I think we'll have a better sense. We'll be able to uh, come up with a pretty, pretty fun offseason preview show. Yeah. There's definitely going to be an offseason preview show. Probably I'm thinking after the playoffs. So, yeah. so check back when kind of free agency opens, those winter meetings are always exciting. And throughout the offseason, we still plan to be here and, and bring in plenty of great guests as we get ready for the Blue Jays opener in 2024, March 28th, I think it is. Um, seems wait. longer than it is. <laughs> seems longer than it is. But until next time, thanks for listening. Be sure to check out Canadian Baseball Network for extensive and comprehensive coverage of the latest in Canadian baseball. And the Baseball Zone, Canada's leading instructional baseball academy and training home to thousands of MLB, pro, college, and youth baseball players.